Hey everyone, you are now tuning into The Rebecca School Listener, a podcast for Rebecca School, which is a therapeutic day school for children ages 3 to 21 with neurodevelopmental delays of relating and communicating, including those on the autism spectrum. My name is Chris Hernandez, media specialist here at The Rebecca School, and I will be your host as we journey into the daily lives of those who work here. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. I've got a few awesome colleagues here from our very own education department. I want to start by them introducing themselves, and then we'll jump into some questions and let them talk. Um, The focus of today's podcast episode is going to be really about DR floor time within the school and the classroom setting. So how about we start with Mandy? Hi, I'm Mandy Hamilton. I'm a head teacher, and I've been at the Rebecca School for about four years. Hi, I'm Michelle Flax. I have been at Rebecca School for five years and I am a head teacher. Hi, I'm Cara Bernstein. I'm a head teacher and I have been at the Rebecca School for eight years. Hi, I'm Sam Stabile. I'm currently an education supervisor and I've been here since 2007. Great, great. So let's dive straight into our first question. I want you to explain exactly what the DR floor time model looks like within a school and classroom setting? Sure. So I think before we can talk about what it does look like in a a school setting, it's good to talk about what it isn't. And some common misconceptions are that when you utilize DIR in a school, there isn't structure, there isn't expectations, and there are no academics. But that's just not the truth. So there is definitely a framework set up in the class and a flow of the day. And then within that, there's a lot of freedom to follow the children's lead and adapt your plan throughout the day. So we usually start with um, more of a unstructured type of thing. When kids come in, they unpack, we have snack, we might do some form of meditation, and then move into a structured activity such as morning meeting where kids are doing social studies, they're learning about their peers, they're doing days of the week, um, and then we might go back into an unstructured. So the flow of the day is usually from unstructured, structured, unstructured, structured to kind of get kids organized and feel more regulated within the classroom? Yeah, I think um, something important is that the flow sort of follows when they come in. We often, um, they've had a long bus ride, it's been a hectic morning, so we offer them some type of sensory input um, to make to first gain regulation. And then, as Michelle was saying, it's followed by a structured activity and then repeat something sensory that regulates them, followed by a semi-structured activity, and it just flips back and forth throughout the day. I also think, um, when we say that you know, we do do academics, it just might look non-traditional. So we might be having a really great interaction with the kid and they might start counting their Cheerios on the table and that's an opportunity for us to jump in and start, to- start teaching them about math skills and one-to-one correspondence and then counting by twos or fives or tens and we kind of utilize what they're doing in the moment and we follow their lead and kind of bring academics to them instead of formally sitting them down and trying to teach them numbers when they might be uninterested. And we're using academics through interests. So a lot of the times where it's, they may be playing with their Legos and something that they really enjoy playing with and we're using that to do some math skills as well. And just kind of to piggyback off what Michelle was saying is kind of prioritizing instruction and figuring out if kids are really interested in um, playing tag instead of doing obstacle course like what we were supposed to recognizing that the goal is regulation and tag can just can be just as regulating as 
an obstacle course. I also think we do try to do some formal academic groups as well. So reading in the classroom is a group activity. Everyone joins reading in their own way and is working on their own skills. But that for that half hour, 30 minutes, we are working on some type of fairy tale or working on some type of topics. You know, we might be working on snow or we might be working on Jack and the Bean stuff. But for that 30 minutes, those kids are doing literacy in their own way, learning what where they're and we're meeting them where they're at and trying to teach them you know the skills that they need to kind of master the text or master the topic great answers i like the flow of how everything's going now i want to ask piggybacking off of academics and you were you were mentioning academics before i wanted to ask you guys you know how do you know learning has occurred um I think it takes a really long time, which is something we've noticed. Um, for literacy, for example, we might start by reading a book. Um, my class just started Jack and the Bean stuff, and we've been reading it for two weeks. We might keep reading it where I'm just reading it aloud for another couple of weeks, and then we might introduce visual pictures, and we'll use those vis visual pictures to kind of aid comprehension of the text, and, if, and after a while, kids start are able to identify which character in the story has this type of emotion or mm -hmm. has this type of feeling and that's where you really see learning occur and I feel like it might not be automatic but you can tell kids are listening they're engaged in the book by just using their affect or their gaze um, yeah and they're also interacting so they'll mm -hmm. start becoming the characters of the book so some of the kids will get up and start if we're doing Jack and the Beanstalk stomping with their feet and being the giant and they're taking turns, like different characters within the book, which is awesome as well. I think what both of them just touched on is that our academic program really focuses more on big picture and comprehension, so we're not teaching isolated skills. Um, and we have the luxury to spend weeks or even months on one topic or one book and really deepen their comprehension instead of doing several books and then just learning a little bit. Yeah, and we're like, it, every time we're reading, we're building upon it, which is also, so we may incorporate, grow, like put science within it. So I'm adding how to grow the beanstalk, what's the height of it, so we're putting measurements. So everything we're doing is building upon one another. And it all ties together, because that's, like Sam was saying, the big picture. We're less focused on what they're learning right now, but more how can we expand on this topic? How can we make it more engageable? How can we broaden their understanding of the topic that we're doing? You know, we touched upon this in our last podcast episode with Donnie and his poetry groups with Courtney and everything. And we kind of like talked a little bit in terms of, because essentially what we're talking about here is repetition. Mm -hmm. um, and you repeat the same academic action over in the beginning until you make the slight change. And then you keep building and adapting those changes to keep teaching more skills. Yeah, I feel like there are, but I feel like you're changing even while you're like being, being repetitive like it's a slight change but mm -hmm. there's something very small that may you see in the you're like oh i can move on now so uh, yeah, i don't know what i'm trying to say right now <laughs> sorry <laughs> well i think like kara's saying like when we're when we're reading a story we might see a kid get up and start stomping mm -hmm. and then we realize that they're taking on the role of the giant and jack and the beanstalk and they're comprehending the text so maybe now it's time to move on to using puppets or using visual pictures to kind of deepen their comprehension right mm -hmm. it's the slightest little change can come a long way okay so this really ties into my next question into regards like what influences learning the most 
And so what do you think? Is it that auditory piece? Is it that visual piece? What is it? Um, I would start with saying their ability to remain regulated and share attention is where we have to start. And without that, there's no asking them to come to a group or to attend with their peers. Um, so first, establishing regulation is really important. And that's why we talked about the flow of the day. That piece always comes first before there's ever any, not even a tabletop or sitting down activity, anything structured. That was an amazing answer. I think setting them up for success was like having instructional practices in place. I think all of the classrooms are really organized in the way that like visuals are set up and that pictures of different locations throughout the school around the door and like adding to the visual and gestural things that the kids could be looking at and giving them those opportunities to succeed in like the small things and getting those patterns and um, those baseline skills set and then building off of those. Yeah, and I also think once they are regulated and ready to engage in the group, setting up the supports within the group so that they're able to participate and learn. So like if a kid is moving around in his seat, maybe giving him an inflatable disc to sit on, or if a kid is jumping up and down, maybe using some lotion as to give deep pressure tactile input on their skin, or if a kid is bouncing up and down also, you can give them a bouncing ball. So there are things that we do within our groups to kind of help our kids learn to the best of their ability and stay within that group for as long as possible. And that was really amazing because you essentially just answered my next question <laughs> again, which was how do you maintain or regain attention when it's been lost? So like when a, when a student will typically, like you're reading a story and they'll walk away, like how do you re-regulate them to come back to the group and help them reintegrate into the group? That way there's no like loss in process. Well, depending on the child, um, narrating, um, having the, uh, going over to the child and using gestures to point to what they're doing. So saying like, look over there, like they're doing reading right now to like get them to visual, uh, to look back at the group. So that even if they're, can't physically be in the group, they're still around the room and looking at what everyone else is doing. And we have really great TAs that help support our groups, which is really nice. So making so if a kid does get up and run away, you know, the TA or will maybe be the visual anchor and kind of gesture back to the group, like Kara was saying, or kind of wave their hand for them to come back and developing some type of rhythm. So maybe banging on their legs um, to kind of bring the kid back to regain their attention. Something you'll observe if you ever come here is teachers sing a lot. So if we feel like we lose the focus of the group, we can take a pause, sing some type of transitional song to cue them back in, and then restart the activity. And we do find that works the best. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're actually going to wrap this up today. We're a little short on time. This has been really great talking to you all. You know, we get a lot of questions about DR floor time and how it actually fits into a school model and like how academics work. And I truly believe you shed a lot of light on that today. Uh, you, got, you did a really great job and I enjoyed talking to all of you. But now we've made it to our portion of the show where you know I give you floor time to talk about floor time. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I give everyone a small little segment to tell everybody what's on their mind about floor time. What do you think is the most important factor in floor time? and share that with everyone. I think um, something that's been really important in my classroom and that I feel like as a school as a whole is building a community within our classroom and as a school, um, really trying to like bring pieces of the kids' 
home life into the classroom. So maybe having pictures of their mom and dad on the wall or just little information bits about them, all their favorite things, their favorite foods, and trying to help them bridge the gap between home and school and then helping them see us as individuals ourselves. And I think that really helps foster the community within our classroom and makes our relationship stronger. Yeah, and also building the relationship between you and the child is also a very important factor of fostering. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with Mandy and Kara, but also say that you know at the start of the year we taught we did a whole unit on all about me. So in the classrooms there are passion posters like Mandy was saying, and we have family trees, and it's something that the kids really love to see that home and school really do meet each other. Um, and that it's the part of their passion. We also have passion posters with the kids' letter, and they love to look at them. They love to see what their friends really like. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, and just to jump in, I think some of our, like the three main components is if you're getting a kid to relate, communicate, and think, that's pretty much the work. And that's the most important. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm.